Amen. Good morning. My name is Travis. I serve as senior pastor here. How are we feeling today? Beautiful day. Sun is shining. Big football game. Are we loosened up? You guys didn't seem terribly loose to me in the singing. Really. Please high five someone around you right now. Just, yes, good. Excellent. Thank you. Now everybody, please stand up for a moment and hug someone in front of or behind you. Just do it. There it is. Right now, introverted guests are going crazy. Their heads are exploding. All right, go ahead, sit down again. It's a good church, I love you guys. Now let's get to work. Take your Bibles, open up to uh, New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible. Paul's second letter to Timothy and chapter two this morning. If you're using a uh, black church Bible, this is on page 995. Uh, once again, guests, really glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, if you are brand new, let me get you caught up uh, real quick. Uh, when we study the Bible, we are studying for real historical documents. Uh, in this case, what we're working through right now is um, a guy named Paul. He was an experienced pastor, but at this point in time, he is uh, imprisoned uh, underground in a Roman jail cell because of his Christian faith, and indeed, he is very soon about to be executed. Um, so here, at the end of the finish line, as it were, he is writing to his protege, uh, his spiritual son, Really, that man's name is Timothy. He pastors a church in a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, If you weren't with us, uh, you'll want to know this past fall, we worked through a sermon series, six-part series, called Blueprint, which is on Paul's first letter to Timothy called First Timothy. And that's all about how, Timothy, this is how you structure the church. Okay, First Timothy is about how to structure the church. We're now in a series through Second Timothy, which is all about how to structure your life. First Timothy, how to structure the church. Second Timothy, how to structure your life. How do we, this letter asks and answers, how do we endure and persevere in the midst of suffering? How do you look over the horizon? You know, hold on to the long view um, in the midst of hurt and heartache and even then still make your life count in the trials. Um, And then specific to the text we're about to read this morning, um, how do you um, hold on to all of that? How do you do that? Endurance, perseverance, long view, all of those things in the midst of, at best, distraction, And at worst, flat-out antagonism to your Christian faith. Okay, so we're going to be looking at that. Um, uh, Beforehand, if you are like me, then you are, at this point in your life, well past your years as a young student. Uh, The more distant studies feel to me from middle school and high school. Uh, It increasingly seems that I don't know much about geography and I don't know much about trigonometry. I don't know much about the French I took, (laughs) and I don't know much about a science book. But some of you will recall from middle school at least the very, very basics in science, and specifically chemistry, 
So, for instance, uh, if you put aside um, what the physicists tell us about today, you know, the, the exotic material in the universe, and you're just talking about ordinary observable matter, we know that all matter is made up of tiny little bits of matter called atoms. Atoms are made up of subatomic uh, particles. Um, within those, you've got electrons, and those have what kind of charge? Yes, we do remember this. Fantastic. And then you have protons, and those have what kind of charge? And then, of course, you have neutrons, and as their name would suggest, those are speaker at uh, one of the uh, Gospel Coalition conferences like 10 years ago. He suggested that that could actually be a kind of a helpful framework in which to view ministry. Um, so uh, if you think about it this way, those around us who hold a positive charge, uh, these are the folks who do gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons um, because they love Jesus. And if you know folks like this, what tends to spring up around them is life-giving cultures. And then, of course, those who hold a, a negative charge, well, we do ungospel things in ungospel ways for ungospel reasons because we want to win. And what springs up around us is ingrown and self-focused cultures. And then finally, you have those who don't mute their cell phones before the worship service. (laughs) (laughs) They're called the neutrals. Uh, So uh, neutral folks, biblically now, uh, actually the Bible would call this kind of, we would think more in terms of um, having a neutral charge. The Bible calls calls us sheep. Um, uh, Those who are easily confused, timid, often not sure who to trust. Um, They are routinely uh, fraught with worry and concern that's really quite unnecessary. So as we turn our attention then to the text that you guys have already opened up to, I want you to think maybe through that grid and I want you to look for those tendencies, these positive and negative charges, as it were, as we read this. So 2 Timothy 2, beginning verse 14 Hear now the very word of the Lord. Remind them of these things, Paul's saying to Timothy, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Amen. Thus reads, uh, thus ends the reading of God's word. So I'm going to give you uh, three handholds um, to get us through the text this morning. I actually got these to Joanne on time this week, so they should be reflected already in your bulletin as a little bonus. Uh, first header, if you want to follow along, deal with the negative. Deal with uh, the negative. Because to be blunt, can I be blunt with you? Some of us are just more inclined uh, or more trained to give off a negative charge. That's the, that's the idea that verse 14 introduces. This is the one who's inclined to quarrel about words. And you all know that guy or that girl, right? We all, if you don't know that guy, it is because you are that guy, yes. This is a fallen world, right? There is a peculiar proclivity among some men and women to always play the gotcha game where you get yourself into a conversation and almost every time you realize this is not a conversation. This is a chess match that we're playing. And it's exhausting. At times it's infuriating. And so when it comes to structuring your life in such a way that we're going to finish the race well, we're going to make our life count, even in the trials, this has to become our habit. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. You know, I, um, I wish we, that we didn't have to lose uh, church members to graduations and job location, relocations and and moving away and, and all of that. We all know um, folks who have been in this church who we just, man, we miss them. <laughs> and they had to transfer out. And, but we live in a transient society, so we know that that's just going to be how it goes. Oftentimes in the summer months, we're going to lose a few families uh, to relocations, and it's tough. And, but hopefully, when that happens to you guys, the, one of the first things you're going to do is not be so concerned about building your house, but you're going to be about building God's church. And so you're going to try and find a church where you can plug in and be committed and serve. And listen, pay attention for this stuff. The service ends. Five minutes later, you go into coffee time, except you, you know, the, the, the sound that you hear there, right? It's a little bit off. I don't know how to make the sound. <laughs> uh, you, know, you go into our fellowship hall, and it's like, wah. <laughs> happy sound in there. <laughs> that was it exactly. <laughs> it was like a positive up. Except maybe that's not what you, instead you hear the, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, like a needling and griping sound. Listen, when you find that, Five minutes after the service, I recommend you take your coffee and you just go. (laughs) 
And if I can steal a line from Alistair Begg, if you are inclined to be a catalyst for that kind of quarrelsome talk here at MCC, well, can I invite you also to just take your coffee and go? Because that kind of talk will be ruinous. Really, Trev? Is it that big a deal? You know, like, isn't it just kind of human nature? Do a little bit of griping, a little bit of complaining, maybe some gossip, quarreling about words. Is it really that bad? Yeah, it's really that bad. Let me show you. Because if you look at the progressive nature of it, beginning at verse 16, Paul says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And then Paul goes on to mention, by name in this letter, two guys who were the catalyst for just that. How would you like to be one of these two guys known for all eternity as the poster boys for ecclesiastical disease? And today, no one names their kid Hymenaeus. (laughs) It's just not a thing. Why? (laughs) It's a weird name. Also, because their talk spreads like gangrene. This is an intentionally repulsive image that Paul uses here because gangrene, it's the, right, it's the, um, the death of body tissue. It's caused either by a halting of the blood flow, that's called the dry form, or because of a very, very serious bacterial infection. That's called the, the wet form. Even the words are disgusting, right? Um, those of you with a medical background will appreciate the radical steps necessary to deal with this, including at times in history, just the, you know, the progressive amputation of limbs. Because if this disease, if it climbs up out of the extremities and it moves into the body cavity, it will kill muscle and it will kill internal organs. You're a, you're a smart church. You understand the metaphor, right? A proclivity to quarrel about words and engage in irreverent babble, it will start to eat away and kill the body. Listen, in chemistry, you know, a, a negative charge, there's no moral value affixed to that. In theology, a negative charge, <laughs> it's a really, really big problem. Spurgeon says, These kinds of people, they're like bees. Their sting isn't much, but when they swarm, it's trouble. (laughs) And if you were to ask um, Phygelus or Hermogenes, they were in chapter 1, or Hymenaeus Philetus here in chapter 2, or Jonas and Jambres, they're chapter 3, here's the kind of thing antagonists say. We're not stirring up trouble. I'm just sharing my heart. <laughs> it's a prayer request, really. Church, moment of honesty, if I may. Do you have any idea? I mean, you must, because you, you live in the real world. And, and surely this is reflected in your, your, your workplace, with your kids, extended family. Do you have any idea here in a church how many man hours or woman hours? Do you have any idea how much 
useful ministry, outward focused pastoral man hours can get chewed up by verse 23, foolish, ignorant controversies that only breed quarrels. Why does this happen? Well, Lewis said it best, because those who do not think much about their own sins make up for it by incessantly thinking about the sins of others. It's a good quote, probably one worth committing to memory. Those who do not think much about their own sins make up for it by incessantly thinking about the sins of others. So how does then a faithful, a good physician do surgery on gangrene? Well, if you want to avoid the the spread of, of blood poisoning and infection, it's vital that first and foremost, you and your instruments are clean, that they're all scrubbed up. Indeed, that's the next point in the text and on your outline if you're using it in a way that is positive. Okay? First point, deal with the negative. Second point, in a way that is positive. We're at verse 20 now. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. So we're given a little sermon illustration here. Um, if you, you can picture it in your mind, a beautiful mansion over here, you got the fine china, right? You got the gold glob- goblets, you got the, the real silver, silverware. And then over here, you've got the multicolored from Ikea plastic plate and bowl set. Okay. Pictures verse 20, the point is verse 21. And the point is not that over here the fancy stuff matters and over here the less fancy stuff doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that both need to be clean to be used. Be it gold and silver, it says, or wood and clay. Cleanse from that which is dirty and dishonorable so that it's useful for that which is good and honorable. You get the point of the illustration. Application, if you are in Christ, God sets you apart from all that you once were so that you might become all that you were meant to be. If you are in Christ, this is what's being done to you. You are set apart from all that you once were so that you might become all that you were meant to be. Church, our usefulness is directly related to our cleanliness. The theological word for that, of course, is sanctification. This idea that I'm being conformed more and more to the image of my Savior. That whole process of sanctification, it starts the day I got saved, it's going to continue right until the day I die. Um, That whole process is really, really significant, and it's one in which we are not passive, right? That the doctrine of grace Sola Deo Gloria, or uh, uh, Sola Gratia, I should say. 
the, the doctrine that, that grace is what saves, that doctrine, it does not preclude what's written here in verse 21, which is we have a part in cleansing ourselves. That even as we rest by faith in Christ, we are actively engaged in saying yes to what is right and saying no to what is wrong. We strain, Philippians 4, uh, to live out whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then when we fail at that and we come up short, that's when we sing with tears sometimes and a smile on our face at the same time, behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers because it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. See, that's the exhortation in this passage. Not to deal with the negatives by being negative, but instead, we use the gospel. Back up in verse 14, right where we started, it says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Okay, so here comes a good Positive charge, as it were. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And if you're a student of the word, that kind of rings a bell for me, right? I've heard something like that before. And then I remember, oh yeah, it was just last November. In 1 Timothy, where, you know, Paul says it a different way. He said, Timothy, I need you to watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. This, verse 15, is the same thing, just put in a different way. Timothy, live without shame, teach without error. (laughs) Do your best to live without shame and teach without error. Because you guys remember, right, that Paul himself, he writes as one who had an enormously negative charge. I mean, this was a guy who hated Christ and he hunted the church until God reached in, he put his hand on his heart, he gave it a twist, transformed him. Paul had been negative. By God's grace, he's been made positive and he doesn't want Timothy to become negative because of the negative that surrounds him. So Paul's reminding him, son, (laughs) here at the end of my life, I'm telling you, my, my, the last letter I write, I'm giving you my first priorities, and this is one of them, Timothy, that we, you, you and I, we got no time for recreational preaching, you know, for just fiddling about. There's no time for it. It doesn't matter whether you dazzle or you are fancy. What matters, are you clean? Are you fit for honorable use? Because if you're in Christ... God has set you apart from everything you once were so that you might become everything you were meant to be. And may I be so bold now to step out of the task, the text, and ask you, MCC, the same question. Because I know my church, and I know that God has gathered up 
at MCC some wildly gifted men and women and boys and girls. But are we fit for honorable use? Are we fit for honorable use? Just think about the last seven days. You know, what what was poured out of your vessel, as it were? Were you argumentative? Reactionary? Suspicious? Gossiping? Griping? Or were you kind? Making charitable judgments, always seeking to assume the best unless there's clear evidence to the contrary. I mean, this is a great challenge in a fallen world. Uh, to, you know, if you're a football player, remain in bounds. <laughs> if you're a bowler, stay out of the gutter. If you're a golfer, keep it in the fairway. <laughs> Avoid the rough that's all around you. Why does all of that matter so very much? That's the last header in the outline. We've got to deal with the negative in a way that is positive for the sake of the neutral. For the sake of the neutral. This letter, obviously, it, it, it was written and is intended to have universal application, but it was first addressed, after all, to a pastor. So under this final point here, um, let's just start there and then try and make the application in our own lives to, to us as employers and employees, nurses, teachers, um, stay-at-home moms, dads. Uh, here's what I mean. If you have a pastor committed to fighting negative with negative, well, what would be the effect of that? If you have a pastor, because the letter was written to a pastor, if you have a pastor who's combative, angry, always interested in quarreling about minutia that's largely unanswerable anyway, Either he'll soon have no church at all to pastor, or far worse, he'll have a church just like him. That's why Paul is so concerned to say the things that he's saying, how to structure your life. Because the way the father is around the breakfast table, you guys know this, right? The way the father is around the breakfast table is largely how the kids will be on the bus. Church, listen, we got to reject the mindset of a taker. This consumeristic Christianity, this, it's all about me. It's all about my preferences here in the church and elsewhere too. You know, it's, it's my right to be offended at the drop of a hat. It's, it's my my interest to quarrel about words such that it spreads like gangrene. We've got to reject the mindset of a taker and embrace the mindset of a maker. That we are a church committed to make disciples. Verse 15, again, that's the center of gravity for this whole passage. Do your best to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word 
of truth. I cannot tell you how much it made my heart sore last week to have um, just over a hundred of you desire to show up on a Thursday night and be taught principles, not a program. Praise God that speaker did not bring to us a program, but principles for how we can humbly and graciously share Jesus Christ within a New England context. And this, I mean, this is how it all starts. By clearly seeing how much we have been given, right? Because gratitude always ends up flowing out as obedience. That's why we start with the gospel. That's always why we start with the gospel. Out of the magnificent grace of God who died and rose again that I could have life, who, who, who washed away my sin, now I don't have to live my life constantly asking, mm, grasping for what's next, but I can begin to default ask who's first because I have this savior who looks down upon this man or this woman who by faith rests in him and he says, She's with me. He's with me. That we begin to understand and we roll back, just as our default position in this understanding that Christ came to be like us so we can be like him. Jesus got muddy so we can be clean. The reality is, listen, we all had a negative charge, right? I mean, that's where the whole framework starts to just break down on us. Because biblically speaking, the reality is we all had a negative charge. We were all, by nature, set against in an opposition to God, children of wrath, but by his great mercy, we've been offered new life. So now, if you are in Christ, God sets you apart from all that you once were so that you can become all that you were meant to be. That's what the text says. Then I think about over 300 years ago, Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, he died writing what's called a fugue. I looked it up because I didn't know what a fugue was and uh, I did not understand a word of the definition. So I will not bore you. It used multisyllabic words I've never heard before and probably never will again. The point is he died writing it and it was Bach's son who then analyzed the fugue afterward and he discovered, you guys know this story? That he baked into the musical composition, into the, actually the very musical notation, the family name. Uh, in, I guess in German musical nomenclature, uh, the B natural is named H. A B flat is just B. And he kept repeating that little motif, B-A-C-H, B-A-C-H. In fact, upon further study, it became apparent Bach did this all over his musical compositions. Which means, if you play his music correctly, his name rings out measure after measure. In this world, evil will continue until Christ comes again. But folks, we have a composer who has written his name into every line and melody of our lives. Our call and our responsibility, though, here's the rub, is to play the music right. When we do that, 
seeking that which is honorable and beautiful. What happens is that the world hears his name. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.